and welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Today, I'm happy to welcome Kalila Benson. She's an entrepreneurial digital strategist elevating customer loyalty, satisfaction, and revenue growth. Her areas of expertise include online retail strategy, digital operations, and product management. Welcome, Kalila. Thank you for having me, Corinne. It's so great to be here, and I'm super humbled just to be speaking with you. Can you give us your 30-second bio and highlight some of the companies and brands you've worked with? So my real realm of expertise really is digital apart from beauty. And within digital, I really have focused on e-commerce or also interchangeably online retail with a focus on customer acquisition and growing revenue for specific revenue channels, which are related to online retail, but acquiring new consumers online, depending on what the company's strategy or category is. And I've been doing this, surprisingly enough, for close to 10 years, which is pretty amazing when I think about it from where I started and thinking about my career. I work primarily in beauty across verticals. I've worked a little bit for hair care. I worked a little bit in skin, actually a lot in skin. So I've worked for Creme de la Mer, worked for Erno Laszlo, worked for Dequio and Carita, so smaller independent brands, what I like to call hyper-luxury brands, brands that are just ridiculously expensive for no reason, but of course with a reason. And I've also got to work in color. So I worked a bit at Makeup Forever with LVMH, which was really interesting because their team is fabulous and just wildly creative and know, understand artistry and make products for artists. And then I got to work on the agency side for some personal care and beauty brands. So I worked for Publicis Group for one of their digital agencies called Publicis.Sapient for Revlon and really looking at e-commerce strategy at scale, which was amazing for me because I had never done a project so large and so encompassing when it comes to online retail. And I also got to do a little bit of work with Dove on their Project Show Us campaign. Let's start from the beginning. Was the beauty industry a destination or a detour for you? When I first started, beauty was definitely a destination. From a very young age, I was sort of always very perplexed by the world of beauty. And I actually wanted to be a cosmetic scientist or cosmetic chemist because, you know, at the time I had a relaxer. I don't have one anymore. I'm not judging anyone who does. But I had a relaxer and I was like, a relaxer or a perm is an acid-based reaction or that's what's happening. And sort of, I just wanted to understand just from a chemical point of view or composition point of view, why products did the things they did. I also do my hair a lot. So, you know, using different products, it just always intrigued me. And so I thought I was going to be a chemist. I literally was going to meetings with the Society of Cosmetic Chemists when I was like 15 or 16, because I had someone start to mentor me. And then I got to college and started majoring in chemistry at Northwestern. And it was really difficult. (laughs) And I didn't have a social life and I was failing. And my chemistry professor said to me, you know, what if you weren't meant to do this? Because you don't seem to be enjoying this. But what if you weren't meant to major in chemistry or what if chemistry is not for you? And I don't think he said it to push me out of that subject or like deter me from my dreams. I think he said it to like, just, Hey, think about this. Is this something you really want? And I thought about it and I was like, you know, 
I don't think I have to take this, you know, super quantitative method to enter the industry. What if I focused on marketing? And so I was taking Spanish courses at Northwestern. I was getting straight A's. It was like the easiest thing ever. I came into university actually speaking a lot of Spanish. I'm bilingual. And so I was taking, you know, second, third year courses as a freshman because I was already speaking it from working in retail during high school. So I ended up majoring in Spanish and minoring in marketing ideology, which now they have like a marketing certificate program at Northwestern. But by the time I graduated, they didn't have it. So it was a destination because I looked at all these campaigns, like some of these beauty campaigns are just so beautiful. I mean, the products, the storytelling, I fell in love with all of that. Do you remember specific campaigns that just kind of like you were enamored of as a teen that just kept you on that course? Nothing so much as a teenager, because as a teen, I didn't really use, I mean, I would say adaption of beauty products and use of beauty products for when I was a teenager versus now is completely different. Um, I didn't even wear makeup in high school and barely in college. And I only wore makeup in college, even though I love beauty, I only wore makeup when I was going to some sort of event or party. But in my day-to-day life, I was bare-faced, clean-faced. Same thing as a teenager. I did not wear makeup. I always did my hair, but (laughs) I didn't wear makeup. For me, I think looking at a lot of the campaigns from MAC, MAC always had these brilliant, loud, fun, robust campaigns. I always love seeing their campaigns, especially Viva Glam. Oh my God. I still love Viva Glam. Still, that's one of my favorite product marketing or brand campaigns ever. It doesn't even matter the category. Most of their campaigns I loved at the time L'Oreal came out with this collection called L'Oreal Hip. I still to this day wish they brought Hip back. Hip was everything and Hip stood for high intensity pigments. And that's exactly what they were. So before this idea of really extending product lines to ensure that they had enough intensity for deeper complexions like myself and other women across backgrounds, Hip was out and Hip was a bit more expensive, but the textures, the colors, it was like they did exactly what they said they were going to do. They were top quality products for the drugstore before we had all these brands trying to enter the drugstore space who were more like mid and higher market brands. And then Hip came and then it went. Well, some products still exist, but for the most part, it came and it went because it was too early for its time. So those are some of the brands and campaigns I remember that sort of got me excited and buzzy. I was in the beauty industry when Hip came out and I have to agree that they did a really good job with the pigments and with making it fun. It was almost taking Mac and making it affordable in many ways. They did a good job of that, but I agree that it was before its time. How did you go about getting your first job? Were you able to get internships when you were in college? When I was in college, I had an internship, but it was not specific to the beauty industry. Northwestern had a center for transportation technology. And so my first technical internship during my senior year was with the Center for Technology Transportation. I don't even remember what the acronym is, but it was like the CITT. And my first internship was something about railroad materials and technology, nothing related to what I do now. And I don't even remember why I did it at the time. Probably to get experience. Yeah, yeah. It was good, but it wasn't what I needed. In retrospect, I probably should have looked for industry-specific experiences, which I didn't. Actually, my first paid job was technically an internship. 
and I got paid with a stipend. So my first role at Ernal Laszlo before my promotion, that was actually an internship as a sales and marketing intern. What were your responsibilities in your first role as an intern? The stipend you received, you know, they gave you some pay, but you had a job as opposed to, you know, kind of getting coffee, correct? Yes. My job was definitely not getting coffee. And not to say at times I didn't, but that was not the majority of my job or not the focus of my job. It was really there as support, almost as an assistant or a coordinator. So it was an internship, but I was really playing the role of a marketing assistant, a marketing associate, or a marketing coordinator. It's important being able to multitask. You did it successfully because you transitioned to a permanent role. Tell me a little bit about that role. Yes. So my first role was as a, I guess you would call it an e-commerce assistant to the e-commerce director. At the time, like the most senior role that sort of came on to the team last was the role of e-commerce director. And at the time she had someone working under her, but it seemed like there was a need for another person. I didn't have much digital experience before joining the team. I think I had done, oh, I forgot. I had a social media internship with Betty Confidential, but all I was doing was like reposting their articles on social platforms. I really wasn't doing anything at all, but reposting their article links. I shouldn't say that because that sounds really bad, but that's what I was doing. Um, So I didn't really have much experience. And because she saw me sort of navigate this, you know, office and really just be the person to do whatever that needed to be done, literally our office closet needed to be cleaned. It was a mess and it was just disorganized. And I literally stayed late one night and cleaned the closet. And I think after just seeing me, you know, stand up to the occasion or rise to the occasion, no matter the task was, she had respect for that. And so instead of like, starting a traditional search for someone with some type of e-commerce experience, she asked me, are you interested in this area or what do you think about it? Would you like to learn about it? And I said, sure, it sounds interesting. It sounds cool. Why not? And so I kind of got into e-commerce and digital just by mistake or because someone gave me the chance. What skills did you learn in that first role in e-commerce that set you up for success later? First skills I learned in using certain platforms. So e-commerce or what you will learn in e-commerce is primarily a lot with platforms that are used depending on the organization that you worked with. Um, At the time, the main platforms were uh, Magento, which is a platform to help you set up a shop or a website where you sell, and WordPress, which WordPress, you can make it very customizable. However, at the time, we were using it for our blog. And then I also learned about email marketing and email marketing strategy and what that entailed. We were using MailChimp, and then we switched over from MailChimp, which is the platform, to a platform called ListTrack. So yeah, starting to learn sort of about best practices in those fields, how you set up a business on these platforms, how you use them in the best way, what type of information and data these platforms can provide, how do you launch a product on these platforms, how do you launch a campaign on these platforms. You learn the platforms, but then I would say you kind of specialize within e-commerce on Mm -hmm. customer acquisition and revenue growth. That's definitely correct. How did you end up specializing in revenue growth? At the time, the company was exploring new markets, new models. 
freely. That's the best way to say it. Um, and they had rebranded in globally. They used to have over 100 products, something like that, close to 200. And they cut that down to like 50 or 60 of their core or their tried and true. They changed their packaging. They changed product names. And they actually did a pretty good job of this. They had a rebrand where they were really putting together the best parts of the brand, what people knew, but making it a lot more modern. So in this process, it also affected their distribution and sort of their distribution models or sales models. And one of them that they had begun to tinker with and think about was online retail. So not just selling from a brand-owned site like the site that they owned, which is earnalazo.com, but with retailers who sell products online, what could be the opportunity And that looked very different from what it looks like now um, as far as the retailers that are in the North American market or who hold up most of that space. Back then, you had a lot of smaller websites who were destinations for beauty or had very curated assortments for beauty products by various price points. Um, Beauty.com was one of them. It got acquired by Walgreens in like 2012 or 13. But anyway, the space of the environment was different. And so... First, there was a woman who had relationships with buyers and people who worked at these organizations like Beauty.com, SkinStore.com. There was another company called BeautyBar.com. It doesn't exist anymore. And so she had come in because she had the relationships. But I think where she wasn't the strongest was actual account management and development. So she had the relationship, but once we opened and got the initial buy, the initial order, it's sort of like nothing happened. And because nothing was happening, she decided to exit. And I was still working with these people, but I was really providing just marketing needs, like pictures, images, copy, making sure they had the branded materials. And the CFO asked me, said, you know, she left the company, which she left in a really strange way. But anyway, she left the company. He said, so what what do you want to do? And I said, what would you like me to do? (laughs) And he said, well, you could actually take on that role if you feel comfortable. And at the time, I was not comfortable at all. I felt like I did not know what I was doing. I didn't know anything. What do I know about sales contracts and account management? I knew nothing about that. A lot of the conversations were around pricing, how much these retailers could sell the product, you know, how much they could buy the product for. So this was territory that I did not have experience with. But one thing I did know was that I was a people person. I knew a lot about this brand. I knew a lot about the products and I could sell. I could sell these products because I knew about them. I could speak with excitement and I found that these teams at these websites were really excited about that. If you could get them excited about the product and get their teams excited about the product, that's where the magic happened. Yeah, that's how I got started. What I'm hearing from you is it's not only important to have a toolbox, a core set of skills, but if you're working on a brand, you need to know it inside and out, at least the product offering, so that if an opportunity arises, that you can use that skill about the product to advance your career? I would say yes, especially if that's a part of the brand's DNA. Um, And with that brand, that passion and excitement about the products was a part of it. Start Right Here is brought to you by Beauty Biz Camp, where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. Head over to our website, beautybizcamp.com, 
for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. Especially because Ernold Laszlo has such a storied history. It is a legacy brand. Being familiar with the story, the brand story, and having comfort because you had written the marketing materials or had worked closely with it was a natural transition. But then you, in this new role, were charged with bringing in revenue, which is operational. How did you hone that skill set? Really planning an organization and always asking for feedback and not being afraid of someone saying if I did something right or wrong, because I was learning to do this, you know, in that mindset of I'm learning to do this, I want to make sure I'm doing it correctly. So you're, you're fine to tell me or being open to constructive feedback. And so I would ask many people on my team who were much more senior than me in role and years of experience, how do you feel about the way I did that? Would you do it that way? How might you approach this? And it's for me now, whenever someone kind of comes into you with that, with that energy and that understanding of please give me feedback because I want to do this better. It made my colleagues want to provide that for me, and it helped empower me in many ways. Like the most important thing or one of the best pieces of feedback I got regarding account management was make sure you have standing meetings with these people so you can always talk about what the needs of the business are. So depending on the account and how much volume and sales we were doing, it could be a weekly meeting or it could be a monthly meeting. And really getting into a groove, relationship building. And what does that mean? Understanding how these organizations worked. Because at a lot of these teams, they were working with brands owned by the larger beauty houses like LVMH and Estee Lauder and Cody. And our brand was independent. It was global through distribution partners, but it was much smaller. So sometimes because we didn't do a lot of press... Um, We just didn't get that attention. But because I came into it with this spirit of like our brand is something unique. We had really great gift with purchase program as well. I mean, our samples were worth like $150 just for a 0.5 ounce sample or something. So I really came into it with being like, this is what we offer as a value. It's not just the product, it's our story. And it's that romantic storytelling and that heritage that sets us apart. You mentioned earlier how just the the digital platforms and the tools that you use have changed drastically. But I like that the relationship building is something you can carry through as you acquire these new skills and stuff. So let's talk a little bit about the importance of paid marketing and affiliate links. And how has that changed digital marketing? It's changed it completely. It's changed it drastically to where there were back then, particularly there were brands who didn't consider it as necessary brands that didn't consider it as something that they needed to do as being from a cost point of view. And as far as having the skill set on their team where people are now or organizations are now looking for people with that skill set. So understanding how to use Google AdWords, understanding how to use the ad features on Facebook and Instagram and other platforms that have paid ads within them. Like organizations need you to know that before they hire you to the point that a lot of these platforms as well offer certificate programs so that you can acquire that knowledge and show a future organization that you have that skill. So from not being priority at all or very few organizations investing money from a marketing and people point of view in that field to now it's like 
becoming standard, especially as consumer behavior is driving more online retail commerce versus in store, especially during this time. And especially in this pandemic and post-pandemic, the e-commerce in the beauty industry becomes even more paramount because the retail model and the access to product is changing. What do you think the unsung skill you need to succeed? Unsung, I would say tenacity. I'm a consumer of beauty, but I've worked in beauty. And so sometimes as a consumer, you get caught in this dream world where you have this idea of like what it might be like to work someplace, you know, your head is in the clouds. And some of these places are magical. I'm not saying they're not because there are very talented individuals just doing really cool, interesting, just really cool stuff. On the flip side, the industry has changed or is modeling go-to-market strategies from Asia. So now before you could come out with a few products a year, now you have to come out with a new product every six months to every three to six months to be relevant. So that timetable essentially cuts the amount of time you would normally have to work on strategy. And if you're not accustomed to working on tight deadlines, sometimes with limited resources, especially when you work in digital, it can be frustrating at times. But what's really great is some of the really beautiful work or campaigns that come out, like say you win an award like a Webby or a Glossy from your digital campaign, or say when consumers react positively and well to the campaign and they love it, or someone comments on how beautiful something was shot, you know, it makes your heart swell because you were a part of that. When you're putting together teams and people to work with you, how do you identify top talent? Because I work in digital and e-commerce, I'm looking for someone who is very organized, like extremely organized to the point where I can speak to you and you can literally say exactly what I just told you. Someone who not only thinks about what is needed in the moment, but is also looking towards the future about whatever next steps Someone who is a collaborator, who can collaborate across teams or groups. Um, Someone who is intrigued by the world of digital, not just beauty. Someone who is interested in technology because when you work in digital, I see it as a focus and interest on innovation. So what's happening on a lot of these platforms? What are they doing? How are they changing? I mean, I remember the year Instagram monetizes platforms and that shook the entire world. Really thinking about the future because as these platforms change, your strategy and approach to using them has to also change. You not only have to have a certain level of skill set, you have to constantly be willing to acquire additional skills. You have to be curious not only about the industry and the product, whatever your product offering, but about what's happening on the technology landscape. Yes. Just be a student of both industries, so to speak, of the digital technology landscape and the beauty landscape so that you see how technology can be applied into beauty. Would that be correct? Yes. Agreed. Agreed wholeheartedly. And I would even say to not only look at beauty for brands that are doing really well, look at other verticals, look at finance and how finance companies like MasterCard are doing digital campaigns, look at apparel, look at how Nike and Adidas do their campaigns, look at luxury for luxury. I didn't look at just skincare. I looked at Ferrari and how those, you know, marketers were doing campaigns. So look outside of your vertical for best and practice examples because You'll find more that will help you in your work. When do you know it's time to leave a job? 
there are a couple of things and I've been at a couple of places. So I think for me, the biggest thing for me was I'm not learning anything and learning could be different for everyone. For me, a lot of times I felt like I wasn't learning the technology or technical skill that I wanted to learn or that I saw changing. Or I felt like because the company was not within their business, they were not approaching that area or moving towards that area, that I wasn't going to learn that skill. And that's something that I really had to think about because even from when I started, I realized, yes, I'm in beauty, but I'm really in digital. I'm a digital marketer who's focused on revenue growth. And so if I'm not acquiring certain skills or just seeing how this world is changing, which it has changed a lot in the past 10 years, especially due to social platforms and technologies, I felt like I was going to be missing out on something. So that's one, you're, you're just not learning or you, you don't feel like you're learning enough. Another could be the culture. Um, and I think that's the way across a lot of organizations. And, you know, one's values don't align with that culture. It may affect their journey for the rest of their career, but values are different from person to person. So what I may value as what Kalila may value from a professional experience may be different from another person. Yeah. Well, I think those are great points. If you stop learning, you stop growing. Culture fit is something people often use not to hire you. But once you're in an organization, you start to realize whether the culture of an organization aligns with where you want to be in the future. And you can make a decision based upon that. I wholeheartedly agree. Those make perfect sense to me. So that ends our first rounds of questions. And now we're going to go into the final. Let's move on to our fast track questions. What is the first beauty product you ever purchased or tried? Now, for you, this could be hair care as well as makeup. Would an accessory count as a beauty product? Absolutely. Butterfly clips from the beauty supply store. I used to love butterfly clips. I kind of want to bring them back because I love accessories. I still love accessories. I own headbands, um, pattern ones, print ones, crystal ones, barrettes. I've always loved barrettes, but those butterfly clips, that was like my sauce. Like if my dad gave me a dollar, I would walk 30 minutes to the beauty supply store and buy a pack of butterfly clips. I loved them. And was there a specific style that you rocked with your butterfly clips? Yes. I had the flat twists. I had flat twists. At the time, I had a relaxer. I mean, I still do it now, but I had flat twists and I would put the butterfly clips at the end of the flat twist and then the rest of my hair was out and bumped on the bottom. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I remember that look. So what is the most recent beauty product that you tried? Most recent that I've tried, I love skincare. I think from working a lot in skincare, I love skincare. And so I love this brand called Innisfree. It's a Korean brand owned by More Pacific. It does really well in Korea and it's doing really well in the U.S. And they have a green tea line. They have these like mask hydrating pads. And what I do is I cut them in half and I put them underneath my eyes um, in the morning to help with just hydration and darkness and I feel like they just make my skin feel so soft and just from the texture of the serum in the pad, it's hydrating, but it doesn't leave you greasy. And you don't have to wash it off. No. That's great. What's the beauty advice you either live by 
or leave alone? The advice that I live by, washing my face morning and the evening or even after I work out, I have combination skin. As I get older, it's getting drier around the cheek area. Also having a routine, having a routine that you do regularly, but also just washing your face. Like a lot of your problems would be solved if you just kept your face clean. I should say sunscreen. That's another one. But I feel like the washing your face thing for me has helped more times than not. Is there anything you leave alone that beauty advice someone gave you that you just leave alone? Beauty advice I'd leave alone. Two things that I'm seeing on social media, be very wary of the trends you see on social. Be very wary of the the trends you see on social and who is telling you to do this. One trend is facial blading or I forgot what it's called. Oh, the vampire facials? No, not the vampire facials, but essentially where you take Oh, dermaplaning. Dermaplaning, yes. And I'm seeing people on YouTube advising people to do this with like eyebrow razors. Don't do that. Leave that to the professionals. Do not, do not, do not take a razor to your face or like a regular razor that you would use to shave your body on your face. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just leave that to the people who actually know how to do that. What's the best career advice you ever received and what was it? I think the best career advice would be some of the career advice I've gotten most recently. I've been doing some career counseling lately and from Louisa Tatum, who is offering her services through the New York Public Library. And it kind of helps me think about my intention as I go into new roles or new experiences. And she was saying that for every role you prospectively look at, you should know exactly in going into the role what you want from the role, not just from a compensation or company culture, but really what do I want to get out of it? So if it's to learn a new skill, that's one of them. If you want to be known for executing a certain type of project, that's another one. If you want to use that role to get to another role within the organization, because those things will be your North Star and will help you focus as you are in that role and you grow in that role, especially when times get tough. We've all been in a a job where things get difficult, whether it's related to culture or related just to the job being difficult or the task being difficult. So you have to always say, what is your North Star and what are you going to focus on to help guide you in that journey, in that role? That's amazing career advice. Are you a mentor or mentee? I have a mentor, but she's not in beauty. She's actually known me since I was 16, and we've just stayed in touch because she's from my hometown, and we just ended up staying in touch. So now she's like an auntie to me, but that is my technical mentor. We're just like family now because she's known me since I was half my age, which is so crazy to think about. And I have mentees, but not in like a... I don't want to say this like, oh, you are my mentee and I've said this to them. I have people within my community where I've tried to give them advice or tried to help them navigate the world of beauty or the world of digital. You know, because I am a Black woman, I think about sort of how can I give back and what I wish I had as I was navigating certain spaces and certain conversations. So if I can help someone in some way, why not? What do you think the path to promotion is? It really depends on your organization and what defines success on that team and understanding that so you can align what you do to that. Because for every team, that may be different. 
Um, one manager may be like, if you don't support me in executing this revenue goal, you don't get your promotion. Another person might say, I want to see that you pick up a new skill during your time here. So if you don't do that, you don't get the promotion. Another person may want to see you build a relationship with another team. So I think like in understanding that, one, understand the culture of your department or your company. And then two, don't be afraid to have that conversation with the person you report to and say, what do you want from me? Or how can I support you? Because the more ways you can make that person look good, the better it is for you. That's invaluable advice. What is your best interview prep tip? And this is a big one because it's something that I wasn't aware of, but from a body language point of view, understand how you show up or how you could be showing up in interviews. So of course you want to practice what you're going to say, how you're going to speak to your experience as it relates to the role, but also think about from a body language communication standpoint, especially because we're going to be doing a lot of virtual interviewing, how you come across so what does your face look like? Are you smiling? Do you have an inviting look on your face? I wish I could find the video that I watched, but I had this interview for a company and I watched this really great um, webinar on body language. But of course, YouTube is your best friend. So definitely look up videos on YouTube about body language and how one communicates with their body language, because that could really make or break whether or not you get that role. So definitely studying body language and how you come across in um, virtual interviews, I would say, would be my biggest piece of advice. I think that's great advice, especially now and going forward where there are going to be more remote roles. Virtual interviews were already happening and they were just going to continue to happen now. And just understanding that and getting comfortable on camera is part of that, because if you're not comfortable, that shows they don't know what they're reading from your discomfort. You don't know what they're reading from that discomfort. Hit it right on the nail. Yes, yes, yes. Last question. What makes a candidate memorable? For me, I feel like and every hiring manager may have a different approach or what they look for. For me, I'm not looking at just, oh, what their technical skill set is, especially if the role on my team is a bit more tenured. But really, I think about how that person introduces themselves, how they speak to their work. Are they actually passionate about digital? I mean, yeah, beauty is one piece of that. But I want the person who is passionate about digital and like really prepared to bring their best work to the work of digital because it's not always easy. Let me tell you, <laughs> working on digital experiences, you're going to have days that are frustrating because it is technology. So having someone who brings a patience, who brings a calm, who brings a grace, someone who can take something that is very technical and explain it to someone in a simple way that will be a part of your work if you work in digital. So someone who has those qualities of patience, grace, composure, when things are helter-skelter, that's what I would look for in a candidate. I think that's an amazing, amazing example of what makes somebody memorable. Because as a hiring manager, you will get a lot of candidates that have similar skill sets. So there has to be something that sets them apart. And knowing that going in with the intention as a candidate to set yourself apart, the advice you gave is valuable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kalila, because everything we've talked about today, I think would be extremely helpful for someone, whether they're just starting out in the industry, curious about the industry, or looking to switch to an industry, be it the beauty industry specifically, or more importantly, digital, because 
if you wanted a digital role in beauty, you'd have to be digital first anyway. Yes, yes, yes. That is true. I have one more piece of advice that I thought of. Even though I am a, what's called a digital native, so someone who has worked only in digital, you can learn from anyone. So don't think as you navigate your career experiences or decide what you want to do within beauty, you can learn from any team and any person as long as you're open to it. So I learned a lot of invaluable lessons on just teamwork from people who were just older than me and who I just saw how they navigated um, frustrating situations or complex times within the organization just from watching them work. So don't feel like you won't be able to learn from someone just because they don't have a digital background. If they are good at what they do and good in how they communicate, there's something to learn from that person. It's just food for thought because I learned a lot from people who weren't digital at all. That's perfect advice. Thank you again for joining me on this episode of Start Right Here. And I hope that the listeners enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed talking that's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top and the most important step is the first one. So start right here.